Hi, this is Braden Holpe. Hi, this is Brian Burke. This is Kelly Rudy. Hello, everyone. I'm Carly Agro from Sportsnet Central. Hi, I'm Jason Greger. Hi, this is Scott Hartnell. This is Quick Dick McDick. Hey, it's Ron McLean, Hockey Night in Canada and Rogers Hometown Hockey, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Let's get on to today's sponsors. Jen Gilbert and team want you to know for over 40 years, since 1976, the dedicated realtors of Coldwell Bankers Cityside Realty have served Lloydminster and the surrounding area. They are passionate about our community, and they pride themselves on giving back through volunteer opportunities and partnerships as often as they can. We know that home is truly where awesomeness happens. Coldwell Banker, Cityside Realty for everything real estate, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Give them a call, 780-875-3343. HSI Group. They're the local oil field burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliant system working for you. The team also offers security, surveillance, automation products for residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. They use technology to give you peace of mind so you can focus on the things that truly matter. Stop in at 3902 52nd Street or give Brody or Kim a call at 306-825-6310 today. Lauren and Art and Soul, I've talked an awful lot about uh, the lady who uh, takes a hold of your heirlooms and makes them look absolutely amazing. Uh, I promise she will not disappoint. Stop in and share your ID. You got some something you want to get framed and make it look right. Uh, she can make it, uh, well, like I say, I got the old jersey hanging above my left shoulder currently, and it looks amazing. She was telling me... Uh, a little while ago that uh, she'd had a sheath of wheat brought in from a farmer who'd finished his final year of farming and wanted to capture a piece of that final field. I mean, it can be as simple as a sheath of wheat. It could also be a jersey, a photo, a piece of artwork, you name it. The stories go on and on, and honestly, she remembers all of them, which is crazy. She's got just a talent for it. Now, she's open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., you can give her a call at 780-808-6313 or stop in at 5016 39th Street. It's more than just a frame. It's a story. i got to give a shout-out to Read and Write uh, and Miss Deanna Wandler for the amazing work they helped do on the SMP billboard. i got to give a, a special thanks to uh, Lloydminster Archives who help put these together each week. Um, they help line them up so that I can sit down and talk with these different guests, uh, especially Lynn Smith who uh, works tirelessly behind the scenes. She uh, helps line up, you know, all the different people I get to sit down. And I, I get the fun part, I say. I get to sit and hear the stories and record it, and it's just a ton of fun. So I appreciate the Lloyd Archives uh, entrusting me with uh, talking to the community pillars of Lloyd Minster. Now let's get on to your T-Bar 1 tale of the tape. Born and raised near Lloydminster, he worked for Husky back in the 1960s. He's known around the community for owning with his brother Furniture Clinic, which they operated for 45 years. His love of fireworks has made him quite popular, and overall, Larry is just a character. This is his story, so buckle up. Here we go. It is August 16th, 2020, and I'm sitting across from Larry Olnick. Did I say that right? Close. You got the accent on the wrong syllable. <laughs> it's Olinic. Olinic. Larry Olinic. There you go. There you go. Well, first off, thanks for joining me. Uh, I look forward to sitting across from you and, and getting to know you a little better. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, you were wondering how we, we go about this. I uh, 
we like to start from the beginning because I mean that's that's where it started. Uh, your parents moved here from Edmonton. No, my parents moved here from a little uh, Ukrainian community north of Two Hills, Alberta, by oh, the Two name Hills. of Ispas. We moved here in 1955 to a farm that uh, my dad had purchased along with my uncle just south of Lloydminster, about 10 miles. And uh, they commenced the farming there. We built a house at that time, and uh, that is where I grew up for the most part of my life. I was five years old when we moved here in 55. So I guess not too tough to figure out that I was born in 1950. So uh, it was quite an adventure moving here, you know, picking up the, the whole family and uh, some of the livestock and along with granaries and a very limited amount of machinery we had and, uh, you know, just pull up stakes and uh, head to a new location and, and start out anew with uh, just a bunkhouse and a granary to live in basically. So that's, that's kind of where we started in 55. Uh, I started school, uh, that, that was the spring of, we got here to put the crop in. The crop was put in, uh, was taken off with a binder and, and uh, stooks for the first two years in a thrashing machine because we didn't have the equipment and that was, that was quite a ways back. I remember driving the tractor at five years old. I couldn't do too much, but steer it down the road as, uh, or down the field as my uncles and my aunts would uh, be pitching sheaves onto the, onto the wagon, onto the rack. So that's kind of where we started. I started my school in Lloydminster. In fact, there was still a um, uh, rural school by the name of Southminster. No, let's try again. Golden Valley. <laughs> Golden Valley School, uh, my parents, whether they heard word of it or had the wisdom to get me started in Lloyd because within one or two years, the country school shut down and everybody moved anyhow. So we started school here, uh, age six, I guess I was almost seven as my birthday turned out or a good six and a half. Didn't know two words of English when I started school. Like I said, we came from a Ukrainian you community. You didn't understand? You didn't know two words of English? Nada. Nothing. I went to school uh, with total Ukrainian head full of knowledge. So uh, I can also remember it on one of my first days, and it might have been either my first or second day at school, where... Uh, monkey bars, I'd never seen anything like that in my life off the farm in Eastbus, Alberta. Uh, there was always long lineups at recess. I discovered you didn't get across there many times. So I stuck up my hand and asked the teacher if I could go out and play on the monkey bars in Ukrainian, of course. Uh, my teacher being English speaking, I'm sure thought I needed to go to the bathroom and gave me the nod. So I did. I went outside, and I was having just one grand time on the monkey bars with myself. No lineups, man. I was just going. Till about 15, 20 minutes later, the teacher discovered what was going on, spotted me out there, and was kind of, hey, let's go back to the schoolroom here, little boy. We don't care if you can't understand English or not. This isn't what we do during the day. So that was kind of the beginning of my school, and uh, I guess I've kind of learned most <laughs> most of the language by now. Um, so that was beginnings. Did my uh, 1 to 12 here in, high, in, in Lloyd. Uh, finished high school. Played, played a lot of uh, sports during my growing up. Much perhaps to my parents' uh, chagrin. They weren't real crazy about driving into town to 
picked me up and delivered me to different sports, uh, cost the gas and machinery and etc. and work to do. So, uh, but we did. I did play a lot of sports. Played um, football in in high school. Had a chance to go to Camrose College, uh, but by then I'd land a job at Husky Oil and. I was in the oil patch making big money. What what year would that have been? That would have been in 68. I went into uh, the oil patch. I graduated. Well, I graduated a couple times, actually. <laughs> I graduated once in 67, and then I liked it so much I did it again in 68. I repeated part of my 12 to get some marks up. <laughs> That's really what happened. <laughs> so uh, what What was Husky Oil like? What was the oil patch like back in 68? You know, uh, I, I loved it. it. It certainly wasn't as hectic as it was now. I, I, I talked to some of my old foremen and some of the guys I see around that are still around and I said, you know, that was the best job I ever had, and especially as a kid, you know, 19 years old or whatever, had a new pickup that Husky was paying me for using, so they were basically making payments on my new pickup. And uh, the money was good. I mean, I was getting paid the same as men that were raising families of four or five. So I had uh, lots of chaff in my pocket that I managed to waste pretty much every penny of it. How are you wasting your pennies back then? Well, uh, the Villa Motor Inn nightclub got a good piece of it. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> built a hot rod as well, and that what uh, the villa didn't get, I think JB's Automotive in Edmonton did get in parts and pieces, because everybody had an opinion on what I should put into this hot rod, and <laughs> I just kept signing the checks and putting it in there. So did you finish it? Oh yeah, it's just finished. It's been uh, yeah, I drove it for I used it on the street, you know, year round for a few years. I, I shouldn't say year round. That's a bit of a, a bit of a lie. I, I parked it in the wintertime, but it, I did use it as an everyday driver. It's sitting in my garage at home as we speak. Uh, hasn't been on the street for probably about 25 years, and I'm now that I, I'm unemployed on a full-time <laughs> basis, uh, I plan on digging it out of the archives and uh, getting it back on the street, and I'm hoping that's next year, meaning 2021. Um, so that, that's kind of a plan. So that's, uh, like I said, worked at Husky for two and a half years, went traveling, became an aspiring hippie during the uh, 70s, did a bit of traveling through um, New Zealand, Australia, up through Malaysia, Singapore, England, and then back to home. Was there, back then, was that an unusual thing to do, or was there tons of people out traveling there, about there wasn't that many i mean there wasn't as many backpackers perhaps as there is this day and age but uh, i did have a buddy that had moved or had gone to uh, new zealand and was down there at the time so i guess that was kind of a, a bit of a destination somewhere to go and then also that i knew somebody at the other end so three of us took off here from town and uh, went, when went you exploring when you look back at your exploration your your travels Everybody always has a good story or two. What's a fond memory or a story you share from back on that trip or those travels? Well, I guess I probably shouldn't be telling you about the half a pound of pot I smuggled into New Zealand in my cowboy boots, eh? <laughs> no, I think you certainly <laughs> That's a, a bit of a crap your pants moment now, but you know, 19, 20 years old, 
who cares? <laughs> no worries, no cares. See, so you, you stuck a half a pound of pot in your, yeah, you just threw it in the cowboy boots and figured it out. Well, I'm just a quarter pound in each boot. Just in a couple bags, they fit nicely in the legs. It worked well. Kept us entertained in New Zealand for a few months after we got there, and my buddy was certainly glad to see us, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we lived there for a couple, uh, a, few, a few months, actually. I can't remember many. I'd have to count back now. Um, I ended up getting a job in, in the biggest Datsun garage in all of New Zealand. I was the number one grease monkey, <laughs> if that's something to brag about. But uh, when I took over there, the, the service bay, they did a lot of uh, new uh, pre-delivery inspections and lubes and things like that. So it wasn't even really a dirty job, but uh, 90, probably 90, 95% of my cars I was working on were brand new and non-dirty, non-greasy. So it was very nice. And other than that, there was a few early service jobs, meaning the first few thousand miles. Um, so I did that. I know the... Uh, the bay was quite a mess when I got there, and it didn't take me long to get that all spick and span clean because I was running out of work generally 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and trying to find something to keep myself occupied so they didn't find something else to occupy me. Uh, so we, I, I did that, and uh, of course then when I was leaving, the boss was trying everything in his power to keep me there because uh, I did, I think, maybe told him a little bit of BS to start out with that I'd kind of moved there knowing full well that we were probably only staying three or four months and then moving on to Australia. So uh, I guess if we ended up with a little bit of a Pinocchio nose out of that one, I guess I did. Anyhow, he, he tried everything in his power to keep me there. Uh, uh, when we were leaving, he was, I was supposedly the, the best lube guy they'd had there in a, in, in a, in a long, long time. Anyhow, we, we did take off. One, one of our uh, traveling mates from town here, Wayne King, uh, had went ahead of the other two of us, and he went over to the west coast of Australia and got a job on the offshore drilling rig over there. So being from Alberta and being in the middle oil patch, and heck, I worked for Husky Oil uh, on the water floods and satellite system, <laughs> saw a drilling rig, um, anyhow, we went there, we were going to apply for big money in the drilling rigs in the sea because uh, we were from Alberta. <laughs> well, we didn't get hired. We uh, did manage to make a living finding apples and things in the evenings and <laughs> orchards and things. Uh, things got pretty hungry there for a while. And uh, <laughs> finally... Things got pretty hungry there for a while? Uh, really hungry, yeah. You were broke. <laughs> Oh, we were not only broke, I think when we went to Australia, uh, I, I had, I think, $40, and my traveling buddy, Ron Gunn, had $20, and that was it, and a, and a plane fare. As a matter of fact, Ron didn't even have the plane fare I did. He bought the other fellow that we went to visit, he bought his plane fare, then used his pass passport to vacate New Zealand and go to Australia. So we're... Lucky he didn't end up in jail there as well. Anyhow, uh, they're probably still looking for him somewhere in New Zealand here, you know, 40, 50 years later. <laughs> so then when he got to uh, Australia, in fact, he just took and put the passport and everything back in an envelope and mailed it back. Mailed to, it back. Mailed it back to Randy <laughs> so he could go home eventually. 
So that, that was a little bit of an adventure. With, with the, the money thing, with only having a handful of money left, was that you just spent it way too fast? You went there going, you know, we'll figure it out? Was We went with a one-way ticket and I think $500 in our pocket. So, uh, you know, a few months later after... I, I was, I mean, after a month or so, went to work at that Datsun garage in New Zealand. I still remember, like yesterday, I was making a dollar twenty-two and a half an hour, right down to the half a penny. Uh, got paid on Friday afternoon and to come in a little brown envelope, cash. There's all your, and I can't remember what it amounted to, like forty-six dollars or something, you know. Well, buck twenty-two and a half an hour times forty hours, whatever that gives you. So uh, that's that's what the rate of pay was. So we yeah did that and um, yeah no we just didn't we were on an adventure we were gonna go work we were on a world cruise we were you know gonna go for forever <laughs> or maybe a few months or years or whatever we didn't make about uh, I guess might have been eight ten months I guess before finally got home but uh, did get to the time where in uh, when we were in Australia on the west coast there in Perth that I did end up wiring back to my, I was smart enough before I left to leave enough money in my bank that no matter where I was on God's green earth here, I would have enough money to get home without having to make that dreaded phone call to my folks needing money. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. So uh, I did have enough money stashed aside. So when we were in Perth, I did uh, get some money wired down to me enough to buy flights home basically so. you went to new zealand australia where else did you go uh malaysia was our next port of call and then singapore and then up to england at england i deported my traveling buddy ron because of our lack of funds <laughs> by the time we got there we had basically no money uh and a ticket as far as england well they didn't want any they didn't need any long-haired bums in England any more than they already had. They had enough of their own, I think, was more or less what the guy told us at Customs. So uh, they did end up, there was a charter flight of old veterans heading from England back to Toronto. Had one seat left on it. And lo and behold, with my luck, they chose my buddy to go instead. <laughs> so now we cleaned out his pockets. I think he had about 10 or $15. Um, he gave me all of his money. The old guy counted it. I had $68, I believe it was. He says, you should have enough. You made it around the world. He says, you should have enough money there to get you home. The deal was there was charters that were coming home for you can get them at that time at about $50, $60. But they were kind of an illegal thing because you had to be a member of this group for two years before you could qualify for these flights. Well, <laughs> the guys that were running these things were ignoring the, the two-year thing. So the guy knew I could get home. He just kind of knew it wasn't uh, real kosher, perhaps, but figured I probably could get home. So he gave me the money. They took Ron put him long hair down to here with a headband and all this business. And we must have stunk a terrible fright. We'd been awake for, I think, about 48 hours straight drinking whiskey with some rich um, veterinarian from, <laughs> from Australia that was flying to England and needed company. Well, 
We didn't have money, but we were a company. <laughs> so we spent pretty well two days partying with him on the way home. So we were quite a sight and hadn't seen water and I don't know how long. So I imagine between what we looked like and what we smelt like, uh, I can imagine him walking in all these, a full plane of veterans, uh, led them right to the back seat, <laughs> right down this row in handcuffs and handcuffed him to the seat once he was in there. And all these guys are wondering what they got their hands <laughs> with at the back. Anyhow, he did get, I, I did give him name to my aunt and uncle in Toronto. I said, you know, you give me all your money, here's a name and my aunt, phone number and everything, my aunt and uncle, tell them what happened here, they will see you good for, you know, 50 or $100 or whatever it is, they'll, they'll see you home. So that's what, in fact, he did. And uh, so then the guy stamped my passport in England for uh, 21 days, and uh, I jumped on a train, and I'd taken history lessons in school before. I heard about Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> Conductor says, where are you going? I'm going to Piccadilly Circus. Okay? I had no clue what the heck Piccadilly Circus was, except I heard it in history class. So finally on this tram or bus I'm on, uh, conductor, he says, okay, this is your stop, this Piccadilly Circus. Well, I expected to at least see a merry-go-round or something that looked a little bit circus. Well, there was nothing. Near as I could gather, the only thing that was circus is the street was kind of round there, and the buildings were, in fact, built in a circle. There was your circus. Um, yeah, so I got off, not knowing anybody, not knowing nothing, and now what? Okay, so it did run into a couple of Scottish fellas, which took me about four days to even figure out three words that those guys were saying. Man, those guys can roll their R's. So I kind of hung around with them. I think uh, two of them had a bit of a day job, and, and we would meet up at night. Uh, they knew their way. They'd been there for a spell, I think, maybe a couple of years. Um, there was quite a few abandoned buildings at that time, and like I say, these boys knew the ropes, so we uh, did find an apartment suite that was kind of shut down and found a room that we kind of called our own that we could kind of half board up and keep safe during the night where, uh, you know, it wasn't a complete shamble and hadn't been used as a bathroom uh, as, as so many of the rooms had. So that's where, uh, that was my accommodations for my stay in, in England. And then uh, grabbed a, that, that flight that the guy was telling me about that <laughs> was illegal, grabbed one of those on the way home. Uh, matter of fact, I went to work a little bit for the guy that was organizing that. I was running his tickets back and forth <laughs> to different locations there for a few days, so he cut me a, I think an extra 5 or $10 off the price of my ticket in the end result. And uh, last night I was there, all of a sudden, bang, 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 bang on the doors, and they hear this, okay, get them all up. I go, oh, oh, now what's going on? Well, sure enough, next thing, a couple of Bobby's well, police come bouncing, kick their door open, kind of come bouncing in. He says, okay, get them all up. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Here's my last night in England. I'm going to end up in jail overnight. I'm going to miss my plane tomorrow, and I, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> like, oh, it was pretty much down. So I got up, rolled up my sleeping bag and my pack and everything sitting there waiting to go. And... Uh, they never did come back, so I thought after, I think what they must have meant when he said, get them all up, was get them all up, 
and and they're looking for somebody I would think so anyhow it was a even though I didn't get locked up, I certainly didn't get any sleep for the rest of that night, I can tell you. And then we hit the train there, the, yeah, the train back to the airport next day, a delay there, the plane was delayed for two hours. I thought, you know, I'm never getting home. I, I know I'm never gonna get home again ever in my life, <laughs> the, way, the way this whole sequence is going. But eventually they did get our problems fixed, jumped on the plane and uh, off, off to uh, Toronto we went. What did you think when you first got home? After that sweet sequence of events, like, were you like, did you go do something in particular? Were you just happy? Were oh, I was, how would you say, elated beyond comprehension just to be on Canadian soil again. Because like I said, for a while there, I didn't think that was ever going to happen to me with delays and police and this and that. And I thought, wow, lack of money. And as a matter of fact, when our, our first thing in, when we landed in England, they were deporting us back to Singapore. So talk to you old dude, they're like, no, we're in Canada, that's closer. We're Commonwealth, you guys, come on. They didn't care if we were Commonwealth or what we were. We were just a pair of long hairs and they had enough bums in their streets as it was and they didn't need two more, basically. So as Singapore, I mean, you think we're in bad shape now, we don't have any money. Wait till we show up next time. I said, you ever see how many guys are trying to find jobs down there, Chinese fellas? And I said, I bet you they're working for a nickel an hour and some of them for less. So you send it, why? Well, because we're sending you back to your last port of call. We won't advance you to where you're going. Really? So after that little scare, I tell you, <laughs> the, uh, how would you say the, the the deporting back to Canada and me staying in England was was uh, a heaven sent <laughs> compared to what we were looking at because I thought okay we end up back in Singapore now now what really we don't have a room uh, where do we eat sleep how do we get a ticket back out of there uh, yeah anyhow that that was a anxiety. So it was very nice when I got to Toronto. I was dead tired because, like I said, I hadn't slept for for quite a while. Um, my aunt and uncle, I'm sure, I don't know why they didn't just look through the little peephole and not bother answering the door. I think I might have <laughs> I seen what was standing on the other side. And uh, a beard down to about here and hair to about to match. And same thing as I was saying, hadn't uh, had a bath in, in actually my situation, Ron would have had one. I probably hadn't had a bath in probably two to three weeks, probably three weeks before I got to England. Uh, so I imagine I was fairly ripe by then as well. And uh, like I said, I th so basically they just more or less got in, went and had a bath. I can kind of remember that feeling. I, I, I bet you I scrubbed myself, almost rubbed myself raw <laughs> for three quarters of an hour the washcloth and soap uh, just trying to get clean or feeling like I was getting the smell off of me basically and then it was pretty much straight to bed uh, and you know kind of talked to my aunt and uncle next day so I was very tired but uh, just relieved to be back on Canadian soil. When you left on the trip and you had your grand scheme of how this was going to go were you planning on I don't know, like working abroad and earning some money and kind of like seeing a bunch of company, uh, countries or was there a different mindset on what you guys were trying to accomplish? <laughs> I don't even know if we had a mind. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> truthfully. No, actually, I mean, we were going traveling. We were going to go down and see Randy that was down there. Uh, figured that was a bit of a start. And then we planned on really doing a bit of traveling, work for a month or two, and then carry on. And, you know, that's like, say, we uh, bummed around New Zealand for a couple of months and we did get jobs. We both got jobs. I, I in the Datsun garage and uh, Randy in a warehouse, uh, clothing warehouse. So when did it when did it get to the point though where you're like you mentioned anxiety when did it get to the point where you're like was it just you're on your way and you're like if we can get to england we'll be home and it won't be a big deal and then england happens and now you're like oh man what what happens now is that, that is that the part where that, it starts to fall apart that, that's where she really started to kick in <laughs> and where it really started to kick in even more i guess is when i seen well no not his plane didn't depart but i seen him my buddy, traveling buddy, they took him down the corridor, and I knew that was the end of him, and I'm seeing planes leave, and then the old uh, fella at Customs, he was he was my salvation, he was a nice grandpa-type fella that could kind of understand. To start out with, we had a couple of young hot dogs, and I make no bones about saying I don't know how old these guys were. They weren't a hell of a lot older than I was at the time. They might have been 25 or under 30 for sure, and they were these... English type dudes that would walk along with their little top hat trying to play <laughs> the role and with their umbrella that they would tap down on every second step. That's the kind of guys we were dealing with. Those guys would have nothing to do with us. It, it, they'd do nothing for us. Finally, when the, the head supervisor, the old grandpa guy came out, um, we could see that <laughs> maybe we were gonna survive this because it was looking pretty grim to start out with with those two hot dogs. Was that the, was that the first time then you'd traveled alone is when your buddy goes off on the plane and now you're by yourself? Well, yeah, I mean, yes. It's, uh, abroad, obviously, yes. I mean, in Canada, I'd been on different 4-H trips and things like that where I'd traveled by myself uh, to camps and things like that on the bus. But I was just getting at, uh, I've been in a different countries far away from home before by yourself and it is a very lonely feeling is all i was curious about if it had been the first time you'd been by it, yourself it it certainly is a lonely feeling and and especially then you didn't have all this media uh, communication we've got today facebook's chat time blah 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 stuff i don't know or understand so it didn't even really have the luxury of trying to make a phone call home uh, it was it was difficult to do so Yes, like I said, when, when Ron finally left, then there was devastation. And, and then, you know, like I said, I got on the train, took me in into downtown London onto the old tram. And I seen that lawyer, that uh, veterinarian, his wife walking down the street not too far from when I was getting off at Piccadilly. Uh, if I could have jumped through that bus window to get near them, I would have. But we were probably doing 20 miles an hour at the time, and I couldn't jump off. Because there was the one face of familiar, familiarity, somebody that I knew in England, like there they were, and, and, and then just vanished just like that too. That, that might have been the low, you know. Any, any, last, any last hope had, um, had just vanished. You know? What did that, well, you mentioned uh, communication. So were you writing letters to your parents at all to let them know where you were, anything like that? Oh, yeah, we'd, we'd do the letters, but even airmail, 
my goodness, I can't remember. It took, I think, a better part of a, was it a week or two weeks? It, it probably was two weeks time he did a turnaround, time the letter got home and somebody jotted some words and sent it back. So uh, <laughs> things that were happening uh, were happening very slowly, or in our minds leastwise, they were happening slowly. It, it just took that long to communicate. I think we did make one phone call and it was, oh, geez, at the time, remembering that I'm making a dollar twenty-two and a half an hour, uh, I think that one time we made a phone call and it was seventeen dollars. So uh, you know, a couple days work <laughs> exactly, and and that was a three-minute phone call. So uh, obviously you weren't doing those too often. You know, yeah. when you look at it now over your lifetime and to see how the world has become really, really small. If you were to do the same trip uh, today and be over in New Zealand, you could. FaceTime your entire family whenever you wanted, and it would almost feel like you weren't gone. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's that's how small we have made the world with this communication and with travel. Uh, you take a look at, you know, these planes are getting from one destination to the other. And there's not too many places we can't be on anywhere on this earth within about 12 hours, you know, 12, 18 hours. You're there and, and in some of the most remotest places possible. Um no, it's uh, we've really uh, we've really shrunk this planet of ours, you know, as far as that goes. What did your parents think of you uh, heading out to se- seek the brave new world? Well, considering I was, what was I, 19, 20, 21 years old, <laughs> they might have been pretty damn glad. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I might have been a bit of a challenge, I suppose, at times. I guess as a lot of teenagers are so. Maybe they were just damn happy. <laughs> no, they were, I, I could, dad had been across the pond during the war. Uh, Mum had never been, you know, been across the state's border twice just to say that they'd been in the states, you know, and they were visiting an aunt in Bromhead, Saskatchewan. That's only five miles off the states. But dad had done some traveling and he'd been over there. So he could maybe kind of rationalize or understand that a little bit more. But just, you know, the old, be careful and. God put a head on your, or put a head on your shoulders for a reason, and it wasn't to keep you from floating away. So use it. Uh, you mentioned uh, your father was over in the war. Did he fight in World War Two then? Yeah, yeah, he was over in England, and then he was kind of there towards more the the the, uh, the Belgium and the clean up and the end part of uh, Holland and Belgium and the and the clean up and the getting rid of the Nazis at that point in time out of there. So uh, he wasn't over in France or any on that continent. That, that was kind of his deal. Did you ever ask him about it? He didn't talk. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, some, but it's not a thing that he uh, talked a great deal about. Uh, he had a couple photo albums that, uh, you know, had a lot of pictures. That, well, him and his buddy and seemed like a lot of gals all the time at these different dances and socials. So I'm starting to wonder how much... He really didn't know her. I'm starting to think he was, <laughs> <laughs> he was maybe the social convener. I don't know. <laughs> no, he, he talked about it some, but he, he definitely wasn't a warmonger. And uh, it, was, it was nothing worth bragging about, nothing. I guess in his mind, there was nothing worth remembering about the whole thing, you know. So he, he certainly, he, you know how some guys would tell you war stories for hours and, you know, Maybe half of it might have been BS, who knows, but uh, 
He, uh, he never did talk too much about it. If you asked him specific, specific questions, you'd probably get a specific answer, and that would probably be about it. So, yeah. When you come back from your traveling, uh, do you think about going to the farm? Like, I mean, you grew up on a farm. Did you at any point think maybe we should grab some land and, and start? Or Yeah, well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that farm life, but... Again, I guess when I got finished high school, I never really thought about farming as such. Because the only part that I understood from farming is you worked like hell and you got no money out of it. Uh, <laughs> the, only, the only time I kind of, <laughs> it seems a little bit funny, but uh, I'd mentioned earlier that my uncle came down and started farming with my dad here. And then, you know, four or five, maybe it was five years later, my dad bought out my uncle's. Uh, two quarters and and you know acquired a bit more land and carried on but uh, the only time I really got paid for anything as far as you know a kid is concerned he doesn't see that he got two bits here to go to the show and you know a pair of skates or whatever used as they were at Christmas but uh, at least when I went picking rocks for my uncle I'd always end up with a buck or two at the end of the day so I didn't mind picking rocks for my uncle Steve as much as I minded perhaps picking rocks for my old dad. Though my old dad was feeding clothing and housing me. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's, uh, I never really, I guess, considered the farming. And then, you know, of course, like I said, I got right after high school, I worked in a construction near, in fact, helped build the uh, Dr. Cook nursing home. Shortly after that is when I got that job at Husky and I probably got spoiled a little bit with the money. I mean, I was making pretty good money for a 19, 20-year-old kid, you know. Um, new pickup, life was good. Hey, gas, I remember burning purple gas, though I shouldn't have been, but I did have another tank in the, hooked up in the truck with a secret little valve. Purple gas was two bits a gallon, and uh, my dad couldn't understand how I could put more gas through my pickup than he could put through running that high entire farm, but somehow that old truck didn't stay still too long, and I think I did have uh, over 100,000 miles on that thing in, in just over a year. So it... Uh, in just over a year? Just, uh, well, between working... No, pardon me, I, that's a bit of a misdemeanor. Two years, because I was, I was trading off in two years' time, yeah. But that was between work. You know, which I was getting paid, I think, 15 cents a mile or something for my work time. And and then my personal, but like I said, it, uh, that truck didn't stay still too long. Well, you remember about the early years of Lloyd, not the early years of Lloydminster, I guess, but your younger years of Lloydminster would have been a smaller uh, town at that point. Do you remember oh, yes. some things that stick out? I remember out? very well. Uh, I was a five-year-old kid when we moved here uh, from like I said, East Plus Alberta, which was uh, just a little community uh, north of Two Hills, about probably uh, 20 miles. When we moved here, I mean, and sure, there was a little town there, but it consisted of maybe 10 stores, a uh, hotel, which every town had a hotel. Uh, so when when we moved here, I can, I can remember... Uh, Kind of lost myself here for a minute, Sean. Sorry. No, that's all right. When you moved, when you moved here, as a as a young kid, oh. just talking about Lloyd. Yes. Okay. Uh, all the buildings, hey, big buildings and lots. Of, well, I thought they were big, 
you know, to a five-year-old yeah. little Ukrainian kid who no speak of the English. Uh, everything seemed marvelous here. I can tell you, see these dents on the sides of my head? They're still there 65 years later. And that's from running in to all the uh, parking meters here in Lloydminster. There wasn't such a thing as a parking meter in Two Hills whenever we went into town. So as a kid, fascinated and big eyes, you know, windows and walking along, I rattled my head on more parking meters than I can care to imagine. And they were just the right height, and I'd be walking along, looking in the store, and wham! And then the next one, and oh, look in the store, wham! And it just never, it took me forever to get used to those stupid parking meters. So that, and I remember a little tot, little tot, they, uh, daycare playground I guess it was right beside the old fire hall downtown 49th Street in Lloyd and uh, was the first black person I'd ever seen in my life uh, Mrs. Lawson remember like yesterday mum would leave me over there five-year-old kid she would walk across the street and uh, uh, buy groceries for the week or two weeks uh, that she'd planned on buying groceries and leave me over to play at the tot lot well, I was so fascinated with Mrs. Lawson. I, I would sit there on this little bench. I can still see it like yesterday, or little curb they had there all around the paddling pool. And I, I think I would just sit there and stare at her for like for two hours. I couldn't believe how dark she was, and then I couldn't believe how pink her hands and her tongue and everything were. This, I was amazed. And uh, I hope this isn't a bad story in this day and age. Actually, uh, I, just, I, I just wonder, you know, what you think about it what's going on with today's day and age. I don't think it's a bad story whatsoever. You'd well, that's the way it was, like I said. First black person, because we didn't have TV. We didn't have anything. I mean, and if they were black talking on radio, I would have not known that. I'd never seen a black person till that day. And then I'd, I can't tell you how many Saturdays I'd have spent, Saturday afternoons I'd have spent there after that. Every time we went shopping, I was over there staring at Mrs. Lawson. <laughs> and she was just the kindest lady. I mean, man, I don't know how she looked after all us twerps. There had to have been, had to have been 50 of us little boogers running around in there, you know. But uh, <laughs> she, she did. No, she was a great lady. Uh, no, yeah, it's not a bad story. Everything that's going on this day and age, I, I just I, I don't get it all. I, I, a lot of it I almost, I guess, refuse to comment on it because some of my comments might not be so nice. Um, I think we're making... In some cases, mountains out of molehills, and that always bothers me, no matter what we're doing when we try to create a mountain out of a molehill. So that's my feelings on that. Um, what year What year did you get into the, the Furnish Clinic? You, 45 years, so that would put you 1975? We started that in 1973, I believe it was. Uh, so that's got to be darn close to when you come back from traveling. Uh, I think about two years later, yes, because after I came back from traveling, as a matter of fact, just to make this story a little bit how it falls into place, I said I went to work with Husky for about two and a half years just out of high school there shortly after my construction job. Uh, truth be known, Husky ran my ass off down the road. <laughs> after that point in time. <laughs> and, that, and that's, uh, I guess, was part of the reason for going traveling. 
So after I traveled and I got a little bit what, old. What did you do in order for Husky to run you off? Uh, well, you know, being tardy numerous times uh, was the biggest, yeah. Y- young, was, young guys are never tardy. Come on. Okay, I was just playing out and out late lots. <laughs> <laughs> I so laugh. I, I laugh about it because the, back then, even the same thing you say for a young guy to be working in the oil patch, it was making a really good wage. Well, heck, you can you can say that for the last twenty years. If you started in the oil patch, you made really good money. Absolutely. And guys, young guys who get lots of money like to, well, it doesn't. It burns a hole in your pocket, so you find ways to spend it. The Villa nightclub. So what was the Villa nightclub like? Oh, she was a shaken place. I tell you what, you'd, uh, that thing would be filled to the rafters pretty near every night, Monday to Monday to Saturday. Live band or? Uh, I think continuous or all the time. I, I don't think they had days off from a live band. I think it was live band daily. Uh, no, it was a, it was it was a place to go. It was it was it was romping, and that was right during my heyday when pocket full of money and and away we go you know and uh yeah so that's that's it, it was it was it was a good place to go it was fun so then you decide to open up a business at well what, what point does that actually my 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 friend uh wayne king here he, he's just recently uh sold off his holdings with grit hog uh, industries um had gone to upholstery school in Weyburn at that time, they had an upholstery school. And uh, while he was taking that, a fella from Prince Albert had a, a furniture repair store up there. And he called himself the furniture doctor. And I guess he was looking to get into upholstery, but didn't know any upholstery. So he was recruiting the school for any up and coming upholsters. Offered Wayne a job when he was done his course up at Prince Albert. So he, uh, Wayne moved up there and started upholstering with this fella. While he's upholstering, he's watching and learning a little bit of what this fella does with uh, antique restoration and a lot of uh, new furniture repairs, shipping damages, uh, that kind of thing. So he went to work there for, oh, goodness, I don't know now. It might have been a year or two possibly even. now oh, probably a year. And uh, kind of wanted to get back to his roots here and in Lloyd Minster where his parents and, and his wife's parents and everybody was, his friends were. So he was planning on moving back and then asked me at that time if I'd be interested in going into business with him. Well, I was still working at Husky and like I said, making. When I got back from my trip, I say Husky ran me off the first time, I went back to him the second time as, hey, I was a young punk, didn't, deserve what I had. Uh, sorry, I screwed up. Uh, I'm getting married here shortly. I'd like to think I've matured and my head's in a little different place than it was and I would certainly appreciate if you'd entertain the idea of hiring me back again. Well, it turned out that it was summertime and of course holidays and as it turned out, at least I think this is kind of what happened, a lot of the operators were going on holidays at that time and they needed a relief man that could fill in and I already being green, so to speak, uh, again, uh, I knew a lot, a lot of these batteries and satellites and things like that and how to operate them. 
So I was kind of an easy fit for them, two weeks here, three weeks here, two weeks there, and I did that for all summer. And I, so whether that was a reason or whether the guy <laughs> really believed in me or whether I really bullshitted him that good that he decided to give me another try. But anyhow, I did go back to work for Husky at, at that point in time and was, again, doing a... I enjoyed the job. They put me on the gas system. I was kind of my own boss out there, so to speak. I just report in once in a while to the foreman, uh, traveling, checking the gas wells. It, it was a great job, one of the best jobs I've had. And uh, so then after that, I, uh, like I said, Wayne kind of offered up some partnership or would you like this so I you know I hung around and worked with them for a while there at the shop and helped them out a bit and then kind of handed in with my notice and uh, joined on with with Wayne and then about I think probably about two years later Wayne sold out his interest to my younger brother Rob who uh, remained my partner for the the rest of the duration so yeah we, we started out in back of uh, right about where Arby's is there was a little shop back there where we first started not many people will probably remem remember but we had a great big Canada flag painted on the side of our building that must have been 20 feet high and 40 feet long uh, just for identification kind of thing but so that's that's where we started and uh, then then uh, made down to our digs downtown to uh, to now done <laughs> over 45 years that's a lot of years to be in business I assume some very high highs some very low lows and a lot of in between what uh, when looking back over your 45 years of running a business what's maybe some of the things that stick out well highs are kind of they're almost tough well yeah high, highs I mean obviously are the people I I was so fortunate to have run into so many good people uh, over my lifetime. It's, it's just crazy. You know, another thing, and I can't ever say enough for, is that 4-H movement. That 4-H movement, as a kid, taught me more uh, for my adult life than I ever knew was happening at the time. Um, I get a little jerked up talking, <coughs> talking about the 4-H but uh, it's an excellent program for everybody. And I don't care if you're taking photography or if you're in a B4H club as I was. Uh, just the training and the experience uh, will do you a lifetime of good. So when we started that business, I kind of had that part going for me, I guess. And I'd worked with Gene Sines through my high school and Gene gave me all kinds of responsibility at age 16 and 17. I was uh, manufacturing electric uh, the plastic signs, not the neon ones, but the electric fluorescent signs. I was manufacturing those at age 16 and 17. When uh, golf switched to, no, to Petrican, or was it Esso switched to golf? Esso switched to golf. He had the contract on a good chunk of this north country and all the way down to Provost to change out all the golf signs, or all the Esso signs to golf signs to Esso. And uh, two of us, me and my buddy, 16 years old, out on the road, he'd just send the signs ahead and uh, gave us that responsibility to go out there and, and change those signs. 
So I was fortunate in a lot of ways that way that, you know, whether I had the capabilities or people believed that I did, uh, they, they kind of let me run with some of this stuff a lot more than, well, a lot more than kids would get an opportunity for today. Let's put it that way. So, so that was also good learning experience. So then when we got into business, you know, with Wayne, we kind of started up and, uh, you know, and then, like I said, about two or two and a half years later, Wayne sold his interest to my brother, and then we carried on. So from Arby's location there to uh, the old bowling alley downtown, which is what now a lawyer's office. It's on 49th to building across the street where we are presently. That was kind of our, our transition <laughs> for... Uh, from start to start to finish. <laughs> you have me curious now because you got emotional about 4-H. What was it about 4-H that uh, that uh, is tough to talk about? It's not tough to talk about. I uh, I'm just an emotional person. I get there's nothing wrong with that. I get very emotional, and <laughs> and sometimes. Uh, very easily. My 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 father's an emotional guy. It actually runs in the, we joke the chambers side of the family because my grandmother was an emotional person, and my father's an emotional person, and I'm an emotional person. So I'm just, it obviously strikes a chord with you. And yeah. if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. No, I, I no, I I don't have any problem talking about it. Just uh, was it a fond? I part? guess it's it, oh. Best time of my life. It's probably <coughs> God. Get my head straightened <laughs> out here. Probably taught me more than anything taught me in my life. Besides, maybe my old dad. Uh, no, it uh, it it was a great experience. It, it's a great. Uh, like I said, I wish every kid in this world could could do could, could do that 4-H movement. It it do. Uh, it would do them all uh, a world of good. No, it's it's great stuff. It uh, can't say enough good about the 4-H movement. It got me going, and and I, I in fact I was a big farm kid. You're supposed to be 12 years old when you started, and I was only 10. But they were short a couple members, so somebody pulled some strings or or something. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, I I, I kind of got started a couple years older. Or sooner than most of them did, but it, but it was so good to me in in what it taught me. It also sent me to a lot of 4-H camps. Um, I was to two, three or four camps in Alberta, Gold Eye Lake and Olds and things like that. Junior leadership, they taught you junior leadership at some of these things. Um, I was also to a thing in in Ottawa, where there was ten from each province and and seven out of the states and. They'd have all these different, you know, a lot of it was fun stuff, but a lot of it was work stuff, too, that you kind of really didn't realize that you were working at at the time. <laughs> but but something was still getting drilled in there. And uh, and that's the kind of stuff that's rewarded me my entire life. So, uh, yeah, uh, I get emotional about that. Let's go back to your business. I think, uh, you know, 45 years is, it's a lot of years to be in business. 
do you look back and it, like was there ever a time you thought you know what maybe we should just be done and i should go back to working in the oil patch you know sean i can tell you uh during i guess some of that mid 80s in through there i thought about that nearly daily uh why we didn't go belly up two or three times through there, I only have to thank um, probably Peter Gulak at the Border Credit Union. Um, he is a sec you were the second person to bring his name up in here. He, <coughs> he seen us through. We were struggling. There was a lot of times in through there we were struggling. Didn't know how or if we were going to pay our bills at the end of the month. Uh, if we were going to build a, a fort to eat, if we were going to build a, a fort to pay the few employees we had. Uh, I remember going to St. Peter and saying, this is all I got. I've got, <coughs> I've got nothing more to offer. I'm working 12, 14 hours a day. And I seem to be going backwards. <laughs> Peter's advice to me was, keep doing what you're doing. It'll, it'll come around. And uh, <laughs> God, you're driving the emotions on me here today, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, Peter uh, kept us alive at least twice where I'm sure any lending institution would have uh, shut us down and buried us, uh, with, without a doubt, with no question in my mind. He must have seen, he must have believed, he must have had some vision for us perhaps, kept us afloat. Uh, Never forgave any loans, I might add, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he did keep us floating there for a good number of years, and, you know, eventually we did crawl out of it. We were able to build our own building downtown after, you know, renting for a good number of years, and, and eventually uh, saw ourselves through to retirement age, I guess. It, uh, yeah, 45 years kind of came and went in such a bloody hurry, it, you have no... Clue that it's happening to you, and then all of a sudden, like, blam! You just got hit with a truck. <laughs> wow. Okay, forty-five years. I remember when somebody that was forty-five years old was pretty damn old, let alone having worked that long. You know. So, uh, but it was enjoyable. You know, I like to say people. The amount of and the amount of people who kind of got off the subject there a little. You know, highlights the people. The amount of good people we've met over the time has been unreal. And a highlight from business, you know, you ask about highlight. One of the, I suppose, neatest things, well, we did a couple of pretty big projects for a small turkey company we are. We did the original Husky Tower there with, you know, manufactured and sewed and installed all the drapes on six floors of that. I was pretty happy with that in the infancy of our company. Uh, also did the Dome Petroleum building, you know, I was pretty pleased with that. So, you know, we beat, beat some bigger boys and that was kind of nice. Uh, 
so that but uh, the thing I felt maybe the best about was getting Lloyd Minster's uh, clock at the old post, post office operating again. That old clock was, I remember that as well as a kid. Big old clock up there and the dong, and you know, you knew when, when the hours were and et cetera. Uh, and then that clock sat there for about 25 years, at least 20, and I think it was closer to 25 years and didn't operate. I kept asking, what's the problem? No motor, no motor. I said, man, a woman. We put man on the moon 50 years ago, and we can't make one little clock from 1920 operate in our clock tower? There's something wrong here, something wrong. So I got a hold of Jeff uh, Mulligan was mayor, and I said, Jeff, I said, you know what? I said, that clock up there, I says, when you and me finish this conversation, I said, if I were you, I said, I would go and see Bill Musgrave and see if you'd be okay if we put his logo up in those clock faces. He said, well, why? And I said, well, because then we'd look like a happy town. You know, we'd have those smiley faces on four sides. Because I says, right now, you know what we'd look like? We'd look like a bunch of schmucks. I said, that clock is never right, you know? Look at the clocks. Oh, I said, no, 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 let me correct that. Sorry, Jeff, I am wrong. Twice a day, that clock is correct. Only twice a day. The rest of the time, we look like a bunch of dummies. Clock sitting there, I said, you might as well blank it out. I said, this, they're gonna get it going, get it going, and so, you more or less will, I think you can get it going. I said, well, we work on clocks, but <laughs> we work on mantle clocks, and things like that. He says, well, uh, <coughs> he says, think get it going? I said, I offered that to Tom Lysick here about two, three years ago. He says, Tom, we'll fix that clock for you, no charge. The cost of the motor, whatever it takes, but no labor. So never heard anything back. Said, really? Yeah. So I just kind of left that alone, thinking that's good. Uh, lo and behold, I think it was next day or two days later, I get a call from Tom. Heard tell you might want to fix the clock. I said, I'm not sure, Tom. I made that offer to you a couple of years ago and sounded like you didn't want it. So I just kind of put it to bed. He said, well, doesn't sound like you totally put it to bed. I, said, I might still grumble about it once in a while. He says, yeah, to some of the right people by the sounds of it. <laughs> so I said, well, I'd be pleased to take a look at it, but this was in January. I says, I know what that clock tower is like. It's full of pigeons full of pigeon shit, and it's 40 below up there, and I'm not going up till it warms up in like springtime, and then definitely I will go up there and take a look. So we did go up there and see what the problem was, and yes, the motor was missing. They couldn't find a motor. Also off the motor, the first gear was missing, so nobody knew what size it was or how many teeth. So there's many configurations of gears that run up the tower of this clock, as it turns out. So we got my brother who tinkered more at the clocks than I did at back at the furniture clinic. We decide we're, yeah, we can fix this thing. So now we have an upholsterer and a wood butcher trying to fix the town clock. That's <laughs> quite the thing in itself. So we, uh, first of all, we gotta find out what kind of motor and 
and, and what kind of gear we need. So I was getting up at about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and phoning England to try to catch those guys before the end of their day to try to talk to the guys who manufactured that clock originally. So I got a little bit of information from them, but they, they were more apt to wanting me to cut this old one off and put a new head on there, an electric one. No, this clock should last for two or 300 years with no trouble at all if it's got its yearly maintenance, which consists of basically nothing. That clock won't wear out. So he said, well, yeah. So he needs a motor. So we start, then we start with this. Okay, well, we've got to know how many teeth and how, what the gears and blah, blah, blah. So we start counting teeth on all these gears. Well, after a while, you get going and you lose yourself. Then we resorted to a paint on the end of a stick. Count one, count, <laughs> count there's, and then there must have been 25 of these we counted up. Somehow, between Rob and myself, through a backwards fashion as we did, we had it figured out that this motor needed to turn three and a, four and a half times a minute and needed, and I can't remember now, 28 teeth on this gear that was this big. As it turned out, when we finally did find somebody a few months later in the States that knew how to calculate this, I guess when we were ordering the motor, uh, lo and behold, of somehow figuring from the top end back down to the bottom end, we did have it figured out the right amount of turns and on that uh, motor and the, and the right size of gear. So whether it was, you know, God looks after fools and children or what, but somehow we fluked in and we, we got, got the right amount. So we did order the motor, ordered the gear and, uh, you know, serviced the thing. Cleaned out, I spent an entire, uh, probably a day or two days and had one big garbage can full of debris, meaning pigeon uh, skeletons and droppings and feathers and crap out of the top end of that thing. So first job was to clean clean it up and secure it, get some windows back in the place so the pigeons weren't using it for a home as they had been for a good number of years apparently. And uh, got got that going. So that that I had a good feeling about when I was done. It was uh, uh, the mayor kind of rededicated it again after being off for that long. And the only improvement I'd like to see at this point in time, because you know, when the town, when that clock was first put in, the town was probably about, I don't know, 2,000 people. I would suggest it probably didn't go more than probably two or three blocks each direction from, from that post office. And there certainly wasn't all these semis and everything else and all this traffic going up and down the road. So it was quite quiet. And you asked when we moved here, well, yeah, we had a population, I think, of about 4,500 at that time. That was in 55. So obviously everything was quieter back then. Uh, I would like to see a microphone or something hooked up, and it wouldn't take much to that bell so that we can, in fact, hear the bell when it tolls. Um, as a matter of fact, I might have to go to the mayor and offer the donation of the amplifier or something to kick this thing along. So that was my, my and I know it's got really nothing to do with my work, but I, I was pretty pleased with getting that going again, considering it was starting to look like it was never going to get going again. 
because different people had tried and they'd I'd seen pictures where they had and it looked like these little motors they got off of timers and they just they were trying all the wrong things right you know kind of thing they just didn't didn't uh, didn't I follow it through far enough I asked you about your business and what one of the highlights was and you told that story I think it fits in perfectly to what you're talking about that's a you solved the problem nobody else could solve it seems in the town of Lloydminster and it means a lot to you well, I don't know if nobody else could solve it. Nobody else did. Nobody else, or wanted, else wanted to. to. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Uh, but that to me, it was, well, like, the, I'd, I'd have been happier. Well, I wouldn't have been happier with smiley faces in there and seeing a clock work, but I'd have been happier with smiley faces and a clock not working. That's just crazy. You know, blank it out, do something with it. Uh, but to have a, I mean, it's like, wait, can you imagine wearing a watch that doesn't run? <laughs> what's the point <laughs> you know so it's kind of the same thing so yeah that that was my my one little yahoo moment i guess i know you like the parade if there's one thing i've uh, uh there's been two things i've heard uh about you two things being the parade and uh being around it um for i assume uh year upon year and fireworks i've heard those <laughs> two things now maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm right well i don't know somebody must have guided you <laughs> uh <laughs> parades sean again small little ukrainian boy from north of two hills never seen a parade till i got to lloyd minster and i don't know if they've had one every year since 55 or not as far as i'm aware they have now, if they didn't have it for a first number of years, I'm not aware of that. All I know is that ever since there has been a parade in Lloydminster, or at least since I've been here and there's been a parade in Lloydminster, I have attended every one. Um, probably nothing to brag about either, but I can remember working for Husky Oil and my first time <laughs> before they ran my ass down the road. And uh, <laughs> it was parade day and was talking to my foreman suggesting that I would maybe be going to town to watch a parade and he suggested that I probably had a job that needed doing and I'd kind of suggested that probably there's a damn good chance I'm going to jump in my truck and I'm going and I'm not coming back after the parade because I'm going to see the parade simple as that I haven't missed one yet and I'm not going to miss one so he ended up sending me into Bill's stationery, actually, <laughs> to pick up, a, I think, a notepad <laughs> and a couple of pens. So I had a legitimate reason to come to town. But I, I think I probably would have quit my job over that. that uh, that's how, what, what it means to me and how, how, I guess, bullheaded I can be on certain things. Uh, the parade to me, just, it's, you just look up and down the routes. You, have you ever seen more happy people? I mean, it's like going to Disneyland. You watch the crowds there. You, nothing but smiles. Eh? So this is the same thing. Yeah, I was with the parade. Well, and then I, uh, so like I said, a kid, even that uh, when we were in, in Australia and whatnot, I managed to get home just in time for the parade, I think two days before. <laughs> so I thought I was going to miss that one, but I didn't anyhow. And then uh, then I was on the parade committee, actually, for ooh, ooh, probably far too long, uh, many, many years. 
helping coordinate that. And judge, my my main job on the parade committee was uh, coordinating the judging of the floats. So that's a fairly monumental task in itself. They've got f five different categories to pick a first, second, and third out of, and. Uh, and this all has to be done within like about a half or three quarters of an hour from the time they kind of start accumulating in one area till they start marching down the road. So that, that was kind of the little task that was given to me that I did up till just about two years ago. I finally got too old, I discovered, to run. They, they were doing their staging area right on about, uh, what was it, 46th and 52 Avenue on that cross section there. And then I would take the results and run them down the CTSA so they'd be there for when the floats came through. But I got to the point <laughs> where, where uh, I thought I was going to expire on the way with this running down there and not make her beyond Macaws. And even though it was just across the street from CKSA, I didn't think I was going to make it anymore. So I bought myself a little motorbike for parade-specific use. And it's just the smallest little trail bike so that's how I used to get around after and kind of you know get keep the parade try to keep the holes tightened up and things like that so uh so yeah that was I, I bought that specifically for that so that macaw didn't have a service in the middle of a in the middle of a parade you know what was the best float you ever seen then and I know that's probably a hard question but oh geez there was a few Unfortunately, I must say, <laughs> all the, the best ones that come to my mind were out-of-towners. And they were professional-type floats at some of the bigger cities, like Edmonton, I think, used to bring one around. Uh, but they were your class-act-type floats. I mean, long, huge, floral leaf. There was nothing nothing chintzy about them. There was one about uh, a, a cowboy riding a giant mosquito and I, I can't even remember what it was about it was always a bit of an eye catcher there, there was quite a few like I say I, I just uh, have a hard time uh, placing any of such and I guess you know besides the look I, I was the coordinator guy so I, I had my little group of judges I decided that's the way to do it to get myself five group of judges and then they go out and judge report back to me I grab all this info and then go to CTSA with it so that actually worked out really good uh, and I, I fell upon that after the first year when I was asked to help with that. And I thought I was just showing up to help. It sounded like I was, when I got there, and I'm waiting, and I'm looking around for the guy who asked me, and he ain't around. And I'm like, what's going on here? So <laughs> the parade was already starting to march down the street as I'm getting all these lists together, discovering, hey, like, you're the only guy here. And one person can't do all this. So the next year I got in this two five groups of two people you do this section you do this section you know you do the theme you do the horses you do the best commercial um, and that worked out great and in fact they're they're still using that model to this day um, to what was it about a parade what, you, you said happy people is that what sucked it's, you it's in it's life it's happy people it's kids it's clowns it's our parades have really gone to hell over the years though <laughs> let's face it i mean you know they're getting worse and worse and and one thing i was glad to see them eliminate a, a good number of years ago it really got to be kind of like machinery row you know you'd get a half a mile of these combines that can't even fit down the streets and tractors of the same sort well 
you know, that's not really a parade to me. Parade is people, it's floats, it's uh, clowns, it's horses, it's, yeah, it's all of that. It, it's, it's exhibition. It, I mean, it's the announcement for the exhibition. And as, as a kid, man, you waited all year long for probably Christmas and exhibition. <laughs> that was the two big highlights of the year. Uh, members collecting bottles all year long. We'd come in early that morning from the farm and sell the bottles at Wallen's Bottle Depot. And that's the money you'd go to the exhibition with in the afternoon. You know, that, uh, So yeah, I guess the parade being the big pre pre-exhibition that's where the now when you say it now when you say it like that i remember as a kid always mom would always put us uh in the parade they always had kids on bikes i remember we'd dazzle up our bike and um i'm pretty sure i wrecked that part because i'm pretty sure i i absolutely crashed in the middle of the parade i was so young and nervous that's that's quite a stage was that here in town yeah absolutely okay yeah yeah. sellers dairy freeze yeah, yeah. Well, there was, I'm sure, 100, 150 kids at one time dressing those things up, and there was some great ones. Well, and you mentioned uh, kicking off the the fair and everything. Like, you're right. That as a kid, now thinking back on it, you really look forward to the Lloyd Fair coming in, and and that was like a big, big event and something we didn't have around until the following year. And it was only here yeah. for a few days, and then she was gone and on its way again. Absolutely. No, it was always fun times. So why do you think then that's changed? I I guess we've got desensitized to a lot of things. I mean, you know, everything's out there. It's either on TV or or, or you go buy it. Or I I think a lot of it's maybe cost. Because uh, get, getting to do up a proper float with all the festoon and the floral sheeting and and all the fringes and stuff like that isn't cheap. So as you as you see, most of our floats are looking pretty chintzy on the decoration, or or you know vehicles or things like that coming through with two flowers on a hubcap is hardly my idea of decorating. You know, if it's a 1923 Packard or something, fine. You know, but uh, it, it it just I I think it's cost because I think I think you find people put the time into it. I I'd certainly put the time into it, but. I, I and I haven't asked, but uh, to throw a number out there, I wouldn't doubt you'd spend a thousand dollars on decorations in a second. Uh, so that's probably a lot of it, but no better. I mean, form of advertising. How many people are going to see you within an hour? Good grief! You know they line those streets and they're three deep and as thick as you can put them in there for a mile and a half. <laughs> on both sides of the streets, not many more people are going to see you. you, know, you I remember you've got a captive as a, audience. I remember as a kid though, you used to love going because you get so much candy, like <laughs> so much candy. Yeah. And the rules got a little tighter on that. Well, it did because that you know there was a bit of candy, and then it got to the point of overkill almost where they were just. I don't think you can any. Well, any can't, can't no, do no, candy. no kid could ever say that it was overkill. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. <laughs> but they were pitching out like just mittfuls. And when, then what, because I sat in that committee uh, and I know what our problems were, kids running out uh, in fear of somebody getting run over. And in fact, somebody did get run over last year. Where was it? Not here. Vermilion Wainwright, maybe it was at Wainwright. Somewhere fairly local, kid got run over with, with 
the float. So that's then when we, the parade committee decided, hey, we need walkers. If you guys are going to give away treats, that's fine and dandy, and it's all good. But you're going to have to use ut utilize walkers to do that. You guys are going to have to get your candy or goodies from your float, take it to the curb. No more mitfuls. No, well, <laughs> yeah, they still kind of do. No, smaller mitfuls for sure. But they kind of walk along just the curb and do it. So now the kids aren't running the street because at times it got got quite bad. And parents, I don't know, some of them are trying to get rid of those kids or what. I don't, you know, like <laughs> I think I'd have a tendency to look after mine a little better and let them run out there amongst the horses and the, you know, tractors and things like that over a, a, a one-cent jolly rocker, you know. Uh, it just, and, and then it gets almost the overkill. You see people showing up with their shopping bag and, you know, trying to fill the thing up. Well, it's for a few treats, you know. It's, <laughs> it's not your next year's worth of supply of candy here, you know. <laughs> but people being people. People <laughs> love free things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How about yeah. fireworks? What, what fireworks, that, yeah, that was, that was actually, I imagine you could consider a passion, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> I did enjoy that a lot. Uh, the kind of got into it a little bit by accident uh, with family fireworks at way, way, way back when, that uh, even family fireworks are very difficult to find, and if you found them, everybody thought they were illegal, you know, you're kind of sneaking around. Well, as it turned out, they really weren't illegal, just everybody thought they were, and, and basically nobody sold them. So we used to have a horseshoe tournament up at Bright Sands, a bunch of bunch of us locals and, you know, just party time on the May long weekend, basically, and draw up teams. And so we'd always have some fireworks at the end. Well, then it got to the point, well, who's going to light these things? Well, geez, you needed a fire chief or a somebody to, you know, somebody with a license. Well, nobody wants to come out there amongst a bunch of drunken teenagers <laughs> and do a bunch of fireworks, especially a, a responsible adult, you know. <laughs> so a uh, couple guys then discovered that you didn't need a license actually for these family fireworks but and i think in fact they discovered that when they went and took the fireworks course <laughs> uh, for the bigger stuff and then i kind of hung with them for a show or two and went and took my license and they just kind of did a couple you know with the lloyd x and i kind of <laughs> guess because i did like it decided to get into it in a little bit more of a, a com com commercial uh, venture i guess yeah so kind of got started a little bit and built up a bunch of equipment and got you know ordered myself up an electronic firing board and stuff from the states and shooting strips and things like that and then so we started to i think time i was done well about five when was that five six years ago yet uh i know we'd we'd destroyed over a million dollars in the sky so uh, it seemed quite a, quite a few sparkles. So to having shot a million dollars or over a million dollars worth, I kind of, for small town Lloyd Minster and small town Lloyd, small, ta small town Larry, uh, I was kind of proud of that accomplishment. But I appreciate some of those bigger shows that, uh, I mean, some of those have a $100,000 budget. 
well, if you just did 10 of those, you got a million dollars worth. So it took me about 30 years to, <laughs> to hit that million dollar mark. But, uh, and you know, the beauty of that whole thing was I destroyed a billion dollars, didn't cost me a penny. Somebody else paid for every penny of it. Isn't that neat? <laughs> Absolutely. So were you, then was it all in Lloyd here? Or was it all over the oh, place? Oh, no, we went, we've been as far north as, I guess, Cold Lake, south to Provost, east to, east to North Battleford, west to Spruce Grove. So kind of. What in, was it about blowing? Is it just blowing shit up? Is that what it was cool about it? Well, you got to like the boom, but have you never watched fireworks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I rest my case. <laughs> it's the sparkle. It's the ma it's magic in the sky. You know, it, it, it is. It truly is magic in the sky. How can you take this gunpowder that goes boom and make it do this? And then with the next one, you make it do uh, this you know it just uh, it's it's magic in the sky it really is it's so is there a, 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 a firework that came in and you're like oh man this is gonna be i can't even wait let's just we're closing the shop up today we're driving out and we're gonna <laughs> let this thing off wait for dark <laughs> uh well we had a couple big ones that we were anticipating you know i mean that we had to have special special permission to use and that was the 10 and 12 inch because you're only good for six inch on most licenses so you got to get special endorsement for a 10 and a 12. we did shoot those and i remember uh now just basically to see how big they are and uh i know that 10 inch probably went up pretty close you can pretty much figure on about a you'll, you'll get about 100 feet of elevation per inch diameter of shell so a six inch will go up about, you know, 600 feet. Uh, and I know that, that 10, 12 inch are probably in the neighborhood of 1,000 to 1,200 feet. And then break about almost that same size. Not quite, about probably three quarters because you're getting fairly close down to the ground too. So th they're just huge. So I kind of with anticipation awaited that first one of that. And especially when it came in and in the bottom of the box, here's this firework. It's... Uh, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're, you know, goiter that's obviously 10 and 12 inches in diameter. It's got a big plastic cup underneath uh, that holds all this black powder. And one that size, probably two cupfuls. Uh, this cap is off the bottom, and there is these little black pellets and powder all over the inside of the box. Now what do you do? <laughs> well can't shoot it, can't send it in the air. Well, let's take apart the other one and see how much of this they've really got in there. Yeah, I measured it up pretty well, two cupfuls. Okay, so then I started taking a bunch. A bunch of this had fallen out. I had maybe one cupful, and I still needed to get another cupful of powder somehow. So I started taking apart a bunch of six-inch shells and getting enough powder to to make up this cup full and taped it back together and we sent it in the air and everything worked. But then I had all these six inch shells to destroy somehow. So I put them inside a steel mortar and out in the country and fired them. And I still remember when the, the bang went and the smoke cleared, I couldn't find that mortar. It shot it straight, like I, I put it on the ground sideways. I didn't want to shoot it up into the air. Didn't know what was gonna happen with it. That mortar, which probably weighed 30, 40 pounds, I bet you it must have skidded it backwards about 40 yards 
into the grass. I could, the only reason I found it is because it was smoking back there in the grass. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. So uh, anyhow, that, that, that was the one anticipation. But other than that, I mean, you're always looking for new and exciting, wonderful things. They, you know, the spinners, they call them tourbillions. They're, they're always kind of neat. But a lot of it is, too, it's, it's uh, you could give 10 guys that same box of fireworks, and I'm sure you'd see 10 different shows. Uh, it's all in the guy's interpretation. Some guys can't interpret them. It's like some guys can't saw a board, you know? Uh, there's, there's one fella I work with, he just, his idea of shooting is you light fuses. Bop, 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 there. Well, no. You put together sequences. You put together different things to make effects out of them. Them by themselves are just, yeah, they're another large sparkler. But it's what you do with your large sparklers that makes a difference. I've always felt, anyhow. And I did. I said I, I had training from... Uh, this Barnard, who owns BM Fireworks, big big company in Eastern Canada, and then I worked on a, a few displays in Calgary at the Global Fest with uh, Big Bang Fireworks, and so you know those you kind of get spoiled there because you see these grandiose ideas, uh, and then you try to pull it down into your small town <laughs> budgets, you know. <laughs> but but a lot of the ideas you know you'll you'll do it just uh, maybe in in not as of a grandose way, you know, but you, you still get the effect. And some you just can't. Are you are you doing any more fireworks now, or you're done? I'm almost retired with everything but life. I'm I'm hoping to really uh, kick that one into some longevity. <laughs> what What do you thought of retirement? You know, it beats the hell out of working. <laughs> 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 no, I, yeah, I, I really, I, <coughs> honestly, uh, Sean, I, I thought I was going to struggle. Uh, people deprivation, I always thought was going to be my big thing because you maybe haven't noticed, but my wife claims I do like to talk. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure where the hell she gets that from. But <laughs> <laughs> well, if you didn't talk, this wouldn't go so well. What a. <laughs> We never have brought up, you know, we haven't talked about your personal life very much. Uh, how many years have you been with your wife? Uh, this is my, my second second attempt, and we've been uh, 99, so what are we, 21 years here. Yep. And uh, we have a blended, blended family. She's, she's got two children, I've got two. Well, grown children, obviously, but no. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks yeah. when your kids are middle-aged, but uh, that's, that's a reality. So... Uh, yeah, we got how many grunions we got there? I think it's about a greyhound bus full. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like at Christmas and Easter, anyhow. Uh, eight, eight, nine of them. Yeah, so we're uh, we're we're doing our job for uh, keeping the world populated. Is there lessons? You know, I always ask people about uh, their relationships, their marriages, uh, being on your second. Is there? Uh, Things you learned from your first or things you've learned in your lifetime about uh, a marriage that, uh, you know, you, you, you've learned now since the beginning? Well, you'd have to be one awful dumb bugger if you didn't learn nothing <laughs> from the first one or the second one. I would 100% <laughs> agree. Uh, 
So, yeah, I mean, obviously, a couple of things. The guy was a lot younger then. Uh, probably a lot, well, no question about a lot stupider, too. Or I would like to think I was stupider then than I am now. Uh, so, you know, things like that. But, yeah, I think a lot of it was age and maturity, perhaps, and maybe. But, you know, the whole the whole world... It just made wrong. You know, you go through school and they teach you all the arithmetic and all the history and all that. Did they teach you anything about marriage and child rearing and finances? Zero. Probably the three most important things in your world and they teach you nothing about it when you leave school. You know, you, you come out of school, well, okay, you're starting to work, now you got some money. Well, geez, oh, you open a bank account. Well, what do I do? You know, nobody's taught you anything about that. Kids, has anybody taught you? Well, I don't even know how you'd teach anybody how to raise a kid, first of all. But but marriage, too. It's okay, there you go. And and you just go at it dumb. Try to figure it out. Like, there's there's no education on any part of that. And I always said that's so wrong. So it's little wonder we bugger up as often and as much as we do, perhaps. i got to admire the people that have that have done their 40, 50, 60 years. Good grief. How, how did you not kill him by now? <laughs> there had to have been arsenic in the medicine cabinet there at one time, you know. Uh, you know, all, all, the, all the power to him, like, uh, hats off. But yes, guy obviously learned from the first time. Uh, maybe it also had a little bit to do when I got back from Australia. Maybe I was a bit on the lonely side need feel felt like I needed somebody or something I I don't know uh maybe didn't make as well I know definitely I didn't make as good a choice as I made my second time and uh my second one if that would have happened the first time there wouldn't have been a second one <laughs> so uh yeah so it's, but in the meantime I've kind of got my head out of my behind here and you know it kind of matured up a little and and uh well and the other thing too i mean we were to the age too where we weren't raising children anymore too and that, that takes its stress and a strain on a lot of times on people and relationships as well uh, kids aren't time consuming whatsoever no and they're not hard on the nerves or nothing <laughs> <laughs> you know you mentioned uh, schools not teaching about finance marriage kids you ever wonder why they don't do that? Wouldn't that just make complete sense? Well, to me, it's always made sense since I was probably in junior high. You know, even as a youngster, it was kind of like they teach us nothing about that. A little, well, in my my second year in 12, when I picked up another subject so I could play football, I picked up economics because I was told it was an e easy subject. They taught us a little bit there, but it was so so minute, it's not even worth mentioning. And and that's it. Just started that one year. Uh, I imagine they've probably still got it. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, well, I I sit here and uh, people hear it on the podcast all the time. But uh, I got three kids, four and under, and I worry well. about I worry about a, a couple of things. And one of them, I I always say to Mel, my wife, is, man, how did I get it right on the first time with uh, you? You talk if you would have met your second wife when you met the first. It, maybe none of it ever changes, and there you are. Well, I did that in my first, and I sometimes wonder how on earth that is possible. And we're not nearly as far along as you guys are, but, I mean, that's a big choice. And you yeah. don't – there's not like a – I don't know. There is no such thing as a school of 
of marriage or a school of, you know, we in the Catholic church system, they, they put you through a course. You have to go through a course to get married Catholic. And it's, I laughed at it because I was like, man, if you haven't thought of these questions uh, and you're coming here to get married, you probably got more problems, right? Like talking <laughs> about religion and kids and, and a couple different things. And it's like, I'm hoping you're talking about this before you decide you're getting married. Um, finances is, is another one, right? Like people put themselves in very tough positions, but schooling, we never talk about it. We never talk about it, a it, ton of things there. And you hit it right on the head there that people put themselves in some very awkward positions when it comes to financing. Most of it is self-caused, you know? I, I've known people who are just like, you're, you're a stupid in the head spender. Like you, you just, Stop and pen and paper in two minutes. You will soon figure that what you're doing isn't right. You know, but that's 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 people. Well, this this time we're living through right now. I mean, uh, government giving out money and I don't know. I don't know what to think of this. But I don't. I don't either, Sean. And that's you know a lot of people. I I, I mean now I'm starting to think a lot of these people just sim you know two thousand bucks. Hey, I can live not bad on that. Uh, I don't think I want to go to work. Oh, I guarantee there's a ton of people like that. Yeah. But what happens when those get cut out? Yeah, but the thing is these meatheads don't realize, too, is they've got to come up with the taxes of this come April. And there, uh, you can bet you a nickel to donuts that there's... Be lucky if 1% is hung on to anything for taxes. And they're going to come April, jeez, uh, i got taxes to pay on this 12 grand I got here. You know, Yeah, you dummy. <laughs> no, I don't know. This is a really trying time. But, geez, I'll tell you what, at my age 70 here, I'd have never, ever imagined in my entire lifetime, in 10 lifetimes, that something like this could come down. You know, if somebody six months ago would have said, Sean, you know what? On about March 15th, we're going to shut down Vermilion. Totally shut it down. We're going to keep people in the houses, going to lock the stores, and shut down. You'd look at them like, like, what are you crazy? Like that's impossible. There's no bloody said, way you that get you a can. Tin hat on. Yeah, there's no way you can shut down an entire town. Well, hell, we shut down a town, a province, a country, the a world. world. You know, how like that? Who? I I just get lost for words when I get thinking about that. It, it just it's you'd think it's an impossibility, and yet it's happened. You know, and maybe going to continue happening. My stepson said to me the other day, I said something about, well, his mother, she's not traveling down <laughs> to Costa Rica till there's a, we, we've got a place down there, but she's not traveling down there till they've got a, uh, a vaccine. vaccine in place and it's proven and whatnot. And he kind of looked and he says, you know, he says the cold's a virus, isn't it? Yeah. He says, have they found a vaccine for that in the last couple hundred years? Good point. Maybe they may never find a vaccine for this. Wouldn't that be something? Humanity for the rest of time without <laughs> this God, that'll be the new picture of what man looked like, you know. But how the heck do you know? Like it, it's. Uh, I, I I struggle with how we get past this. Well, I I do too. I do too. It's it's. Uh, like, is it any year? And, and, and I, I don't think you can just go ahead and ignore it. You know, the part that's scary is, is the rapidity of how it spreads. You know, it's not that it's spreading. It's how quick, how 
like you can put one person in a room of 500 and they've pretty much all got it by the afternoon out, you know. Uh, I don't know how we get around it. And I, you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm almost at the end of my tenure. I keep thinking of all the young ones coming up. The shit, we lived, a, I've lived a great life. Man, a woman, you know, like right from my, we came through the 50s and all that, sure, there wasn't land of uh, milk and honey and the horn of plenty. But you know what, we, we were all the same. People I went to school with, I don't know if there was two rich kids in the entire school, we were all average. And, uh, and, and everybody got along well. Uh, like I said, I've, I've had a great life. Uh, I've never had abundances. I've never really done without. And I'm, I'm mucho contento, as they'd say in Spanish. Uh. Well, a couple more before I let you go. Uh, maybe what's, what do you think the biggest achievement is over your lifetime. Is there something that just, there's the crown jewel? Is it furniture clinic? Is it something you accomplished? Is it the clock? Is it? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, furniture clinic, that, that was a lot of my heart and soul. Um, uh, my, me and my brother Rob, uh, I'd hate to think that that was my crowning glory. I mean, if I had to build the Empire State Building or something. I'd have maybe <laughs> been proud of that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I'm proud of the fact that we did own a business. I, I was able to provide uh, a living uh, for quite a few families over over that 45 years, in, including my own family. But a lot of the employees uh, raised families while working there. That, that makes me feel good. Um, I guess really anyone's crowning glory would have to be the next generation. Uh, the raising of your kids. Uh, I had one in particular that uh, if I could have caught mad, if I was quicker on my legs mad than he was on his legs scared, I might have killed him. <laughs> his only salvation was he could run faster than I could. <laughs> so I had one that was challenging, and you know what? Took a while, but has turned into a a, a respectable, uh, good adult that that I'm proud of. So, uh, and the other one never really was any grief. But then I kind of think back in my own upbringing, and I think maybe my parents had one that might have given them a little grief too, and the other two weren't too bad. And we won't mention who he was. <laughs> so maybe uh, some of that. A friend of mine always does say that a apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So there may be something to that. But I guess, like I say, the crowning glory would be, I guess, to bring up some healthy children with a, with a set of brains in their head that will go out in the world and, in fact, use them. Uh, you can't, you can't want more than that out of life. I laugh about your comment about the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I, my oldest son is Sean 2.0, and I am in for a, hold <laughs> on, boys. It's going to be a fun ride, but he talks a mile a minute. I don't like to talk at all, and uh, he is a handful. And I've heard from 
friends of my parents that it, it's me running around, right? <laughs> and so when I hear you talk that uh, you had a seven funny. after, you just told me the story of being on a, a trip a, across the world and almost not making it home and husky getting booted out of there and everything else. And I, 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 could, I could see it. Yeah, well, uh, I guess I, 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 I had fun. You know, and I came out of it fairly unscathed is the beauty of it. I often tell people, geez, I'd love to just do that one more time. And, of course, they always throw it, and know what you know now. No, I don't want to know any more than I knew the first time. I'd go through it stupid one more time. I kind of came out of it fairly unscathed. <laughs> I still have all my hands, all my legs. I'd, I'd, I'd do it stupid one more time. If I, you could I take a time it. machine then and go back to your 20-year-old self, 25-year-old self, right at the start of your business, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't be like, Listen, just remember this lesson. Nah, nah. -uh. No? No. No. Nah, just put me back there. Just an empty head and put me back there and I'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, you'd have a hell of an advantage <laughs> if you knew what you knew now, but that's unfair. I mean, you know, I, no, I'd, I'd, no I'd, I'd go at her dumb one more time. Yeah. One more for you then. In business, in business in general, if there's somebody who's going to start their own furniture clinic, is there a piece of advice you'd give them and now that you've, you've gone through it all? Buy lotto tickets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I think, so, I mean, some, get used to some fairly long hours, quite a bit of hard work. And I guess some, if you get large enough, maybe get quite lucrative. Uh, our situation, I mean, we never got filthy rich out of it. We uh, did, did make a living, decent living. Uh, like I said, we employed families who, uh, who ate and, and had somewhere to sleep as, as, as partial partial our doings I guess um, but no I, I I don't know that I I, I would uh, yeah I, I, I don't know that's that's, that's, that's kind of a, a tough one I, I did you enjoy owning owning a business yeah. oh I, I I, I enjoyed it, you know, I really enjoyed it from the aspect of you think you've got a little bit more freedoms. I can come and go when I want. <laughs> well, I don't know where in the heck a guy ever got that one put into his head, but I can tell you that's <laughs> probably quite opposite of that. If you really have to get away, then you can. I'll put it that way. But chances are you're staying there more than the guy that's working there. Well, you are. Uh, you're there before, you're there after, and on Saturday and Sunday, you're thinking about what you're doing on Monday. Um, so from, from that aspect, <laughs> uh, but I, yes, I, I did enjoy it. Uh, and I enjoyed the people. Like, I'm a people person. I, 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 I don't do well by myself. Uh, so, and I had, you know, a constant flow of people. That's where I thought retire retirement was really going to be difficult for me. But I'm, I'm surprised how easily I've fallen into it. <laughs> so what's your, what's your best act? What do you like uh, most about retirement? What do you, what's your, uh, you got coffee row or are you golfing or are you traveling? What are you doing? Nothing. 
nothing. Oh, that's a that's a bit of a lie. <laughs> I, I've been busy my whole life. I can't do nothing. I've been doing a little bit of maintenance on our house and our yard this year. Uh, but I'll get into some volunteering. I mean, I do a bit of volunteering now, different things. So I'll, I'll do a bit of that. Uh, no, you got to keep you got to keep these things busy and you got to keep this thing busy because otherwise macaw will get you quicker than you know uh one yeah. one foot ahead of the other you got to keep moving and 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 you got to use that noggin god god put that there for a reason like my old dad said it wasn't just to keep you from floating away if you if that was all you wanted you to put a rock up there instead you know could have used a smaller one um but yes that's uh I, I I did enjoy the business. I, I did enjoy the people. I liked the work I did. I, I still, God, I still love touching up. I mean, hell, I'll take any, you want me to make that not disappear? I could make that not disappear for you. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but, you know, we did a lot of repairs, uh, yeah. moving repairs, uh, shipping repairs, and the stuff got fixed up and went brand new out in the store floors for sale they weren't the markdown item when we finished with them they were sold off at full price um, so I, I had a bit of a knack and not bragging but i had a bit of a knack for that and 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 i enjoyed it i guess because i had a bit of a knack for it I, I could do a good blend on colors and do a lot of good disguises and like one guy we had there for six seven years i couldn't let him do a touch-up for the love of me no matter what he tried, it'd always end up a black blob. You know, I'd find him like, no, quit. I, no, I, I can't get you to do my touch-ups. He just, he just didn't have an eye for color, you know. Just, that's the way it is. So. Well, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you have too. Yeah, well, it's been, geez, what a BS session this was. <laughs> Ten <laughs> percent of this might have been factual. <laughs> well, you're locked in now, sir. <coughs> appreciate you sitting down with me. Well, I appreciate being asked. I uh, kind of honored, I must say. Humbled would be a, a better word, probably. I uh, say when Lynn phoned me, she surprised me and humbled me, and I'm not sure what all, all, all in the same motion. But uh, I said, what you need is somebody, a politician that can really BS the troops. I don't know if she figured that was me or what the deal was. Anyhow. Well, it's been uh, it's been an enjoyable um, almost couple hours here sitting. So. Well, i got to thank you for taking the time to do all this, Sean. I mean, you know, if it's like you and the rest of these archivists. If somebody doesn't do that, a lot of that stuff is going to end up in the, in the dump, basically. I mean, if somebody didn't start cataloging or doing something. And I know what that's like. I've saved sports things and stuff for the last probably 50, 60 years at home. And I got, you know, in, just kept shoving them in a book. I'll put them in there one day. Well, I got to start at that one of these days because it's going to end up in the dump too. And there's a lot of, lot of good old information in there. But, but this is kind of the same thing. If you, if you and people like you don't put the work and effort in there, history gets erased, it's gone. And once it's gone, it's gone forever. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I, I listened to you talk about, say, fireworks and the time and effort you put into that hobby. And some people get it. Some people don't get it. But sitting here doing this, I find highly enjoyable. Yeah. Very enjoyable. It's oh. a, time flies by. And especially when you're talking about 
shuffling some weed in your cowboy boots across the border. That's that's <laughs> something you just don't hear every day. Well, that's something maybe my grandkids don't need to know, but <laughs> also part of my life. So no, it's it's. <laughs> if uh, I was Jesse James at one time. I guess I was Jesse James at one time. Yeah, no, I I, I thoroughly enjoy. I appreciate uh, appreciate it. I I'm, I hope people enjoy listening to it as much as I do but I just I enjoy the stories I enjoy hearing about our past and where we've come from and people's perspectives because uh, everybody has their own perspective and you running a business in this city for 45 years and growing up in this area uh, you know for 70 years I mean there's there's something to be said about that and you just you know I'm I put it at you've lived double my time so as much as I think I know some days I know I know squat. <laughs> it all it well you hope it all keeps adding up. You, you'd hate to think you get to the point where you stop learning, because <laughs> then you are a dummy, you know. Well, uh, I think you know I kind of go with the old theory that you know listen to people because it's the same old thing. Even the dumbest person on this earth has something to offer. I don't I don't care how dumb he is. He's got something to offer, so listen to him. You know. That's uh, that's that's just life. Treat people like people. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I certainly appreciate the uh, time. I didn't realize that I'd uh, rambled on for quite as long as I had. It was perfect. Hell, I was just getting started. Hey, folks! Thanks again for joining us today. If you just stumble on the show and like what you hear, please click subscribe. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, a new guest will be sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you find your podcast fix. Until next time.